wheat volatility is riding high. And the cattle price won't slide. We wonder what's going to happen next. Smart money's buying sheep. Your advice comes pretty cheap. Why don't you ask what we can do? Just the two of us. Making podcasts on the fly. Just, Just the, the two, two of us. us. Just, Just the two, two of us. us. You and you I. And I. G'day, Ag Watchers. Uh, Murray Watt here, Federal Minister for Agriculture, Fisheries, Forestry and Emergency Management. A day that Ag Watchers thought would never come is actually here. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having a chat uh, with Matt and Andrew. It's been long planned, long talked about, and we're actually on it. So looking forward to it and let's have some fun. We have, we, have, yeah. we, have been, we have been chasing you up and hounding you on social media for yeah. a year. With any, time, seen, yeah. any, time you put, any time you put a tweet up, that's a good topic I, for Ag Watchers. Yeah. I, I, kind I, of like, I have been... I have been thinking, you know, I'll, you'll have to find someone new to troll now that I've actually come on the show. <laughs> and, and Andrew's and, uh, been stu- Andrew moved to Canberra just so he could stalk you a bit closer. Exactly. Marianne. And yeah. I've, I've noticed Andrew bumming up at functions that I'm at, you know, always with the same question, when are you coming on? So thank you for your patience. Uh, you may have noticed there's been a little bit on in the last 12 months, but I'm really <laughs> glad to have the opportunity to have a chat. It well, the, well the, good, the good thing, I was talking to Matt before you came on, is that you made it onto the podcast in just under one year before you guys got elected. So f- five days more and you'd have been no longer of interest to us. Exactly. Also, the trolling would have stopped. All I trolling would have stopped. Oh, five more days. Just had to wait. It is. So, no, so I, and I did think I did think twelve months was a good time to come on. So there's a you know it's a good sort of bit of logic, bit of logic. because you're not new, we don't even have to be nice to you anymore. No, this is true. That's the downside, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna start off how we always start our podcast off is yep. by a psychological test of our guests. Uh, so we're gonna run this the six. We're gonna run the six cents. So we're gonna throw a word at you, six words, or a phrase, uh, or a phrase. And you give us the first thing that comes to your mind. Very, sure. sh- you've you've got an option. The you can try and beat you can try and beat Bob Catter. Um, Bob Catter. <laughs> he gave us he gave us both the shortest answer and the longest answer. answer. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone can beat Bob Catter. No, <laughs> possibly not. On anything. Um, the sixth sense became a one episode <laughs> on one question. Uh, right. Oh, so Matt, you jump in first. Live ship export. <laughs> Challenging. Foot and mouth disease. Uh, incredibly stressful. Not over yet. Um, black pudding. As incredibly stressful. Knows, <laughs> incredibly stressful. Uh, never over. <laughs> and I like it. Oh, there you go. I, I don't, need it, don't need it often, but when I have, I actually have enjoyed it. Good. Crocs footwear. Much prefer the real Crocs, being a Queenslander and all. Okay. Not a fan. Not a fan. What did Bob Catter have to say about Crocs? He, he started talking about Crocs. He started talking about Crocs. He started talking about very reliable sh- that way. Sh- shooting them all. And then we mentioned <laughs> we're talking about sandals. <laughs> <laughs> Does he feel the same way about Birkenstock? Should you shoot them as well? Uh, he, mm. he, he was anti all sandals. Mm. <laughs> he did a childhood I trauma. I've seen him in them. No, childhood <laughs> trauma, I think it was. Um, what about the agricultural labour force? Um, well, the first thing I'd say is uh, incredibly hardworking um, and people who deserve a lot of respect. 
but I presume what you're talking about is the shortage, and that's that's again uh, a real challenge. Um, obviously, not restricted to agriculture, but there mm-hmm. are some particular issues in agriculture, and hopefully, we'll have to get it, ha- have a chance to have a chat about some of the things we're doing about it. But yeah, look, it's an ongoing problem. Absolutely. Is that six? Have you been Last up? one. You go one more to oh, go, mate. One more. Uh, it's, it's hard for us to count up to six. As analysts, you know, as, 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 uh, forest, yeah, forestry exports, um, which is good. Uh, we're obviously making some good progress on barley and we want to make similar progress on wine, rock lobsters and all the other impediments. But, yeah, I'd say encouraging um, given given where things have been. That's no probably, that's probably right. a good place to start. Uh, right, well, start let's, with the trade, mate. Well, let's do the well, – we give them his results because oh, we okay, are, yeah. it's, it's an AI-based system. That's true. That's oh, true. I, didn't, I didn't know there was a score. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, you got you got it half right. The party passed. The black, the black pudding was a, a complete pass. A complete pass. The, the Crocs was a fail. So uh, you're, a, you're a Crocs man, are you? Oh, we're yeah. Crocs people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Comfort. Not comfort. the not not the uh, not the crocodile tie. That's what, that's what Bob did when we mentioned crocodiles. Yeah, no. He mimed the uh, what looked like a shotgun or a rifle. Um, but no, so you, you're you know you're fifty fifty. So we'll I'll take that. Enough, I'll take enough that. to proceed. Enough to proceed. To proceed. Uh, <laughs> right. Or well, well, where do you want to start, Matt? I, th- I just thought trade with China because given China, that we have, 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 have we, yeah, we have had that good announcement about the timber. But would you want to? Are you able to give us a bit of a of an update in terms of how things are tracking with maybe some of those other commodities you mentioned, like beef and barley and rock lobsters and wine? Is there any? Yeah. There any you know, how are things progressing? Yeah, look, I think we are definitely seeing some steady signs of progress there. Um, obviously, it's something that our government has put a lot of effort into over the last 12 months. And I think any everyone can see that the relationship is stabilising, uh, something that we've aimed to do. Um, you know, I've met many wine growers, um, uh, haven't met rock lobster fishermen, I must admit, but a number of beef establishments uh, grain producers who've been really badly affected. Um, so I very much understand the pain that's caused people. Um, the trip that Don Farrell, the trade minister, uh, undertook about a week or so ago, um, I thought it was a bit unfairly received, actually, when he got back, um, because, you know, I think people had expectations that he, you know, announced all sorts of things as a part of that trip. But, you know, I don't think it's coincidental that a few days after his return, we've had this uh, outcome around forestry. Um, and uh, he was able to pursue the barley issues further, which are obviously underway, uh, hopefully to be resolved in the next couple of months. Um, but importantly, um, for a range of those other commodities, the other thing that came out of Don's visit was that we've now got a process in place to resolve some of these trade impediments, and we didn't have that before the trip. Um, so those processes have been put in place under the free trade agreement that we have with China. Um, so, you know, of course, you'd always like to be able to point to um, more and more wins. Um, but even just having some of these processes in place is a good start. And, you know, that that is actually the first face-to-face meeting that uh, the Australian Trade Minister has had with their Chinese counterparts since 2019. Mm. Um, that in itself is a good thing. Um, a few weeks ago, I was able to meet with the Vice Minister of the Chinese Agriculture Ministry uh, when he visited uh, Canberra. 
he's effectively the same as the Deputy Secretary of a Federal Department of Agriculture. And uh, again, that was the first uh, visit we'd had uh, from someone from that ministry for a number of years. Um, it also We also staged um, a joint agriculture cooperation uh, group meeting, which hasn't happened for a number of years. And as a result of those meetings, we agreed on a number of areas for some new and expanded agricultural cooperation with China. Um, it was interesting to me that, you know, obviously there's the trade issues and I certainly pursued those in that meeting, but um, China was very keen to learn from Australia's experiences around soil health, um, salinity, sustainability in agriculture in general. So I think I think there's some really promising um, broader opportunities for us to stabilise that relationship. And uh, we're very hopeful that in the coming months, uh, there'll be some really good results on the trade front as well. So on barley, we're talking two and a half months, three months? That yeah, there's a three month process. Yeah. yeah, so it'd be it'd probably be just over two months now. From um, now, yeah. Yep. So yeah, we've, we've suspended our WTO action uh, to allow for that uh, negotiation to occur. And we've obviously always said that we'd prefer to resolve these things through negotiation rather than WTA disputes because it, that, that is it, a pretty slow way. Because there was a lot of, there's a bit of, uh, I know in the grains industry, there's a lot, two thoughts about the barley, about whether we should have went to WTO or not. Mm. Do you think in, initially we shouldn't have gone to WTO or was that the best option at the time? Um, I'm desperately trying to think of what Federal Labor's position was at the time, so I'm consistent. But, um, but <laughs> leaving, leaving that aside, we're not, we're that not aside. here. To, we're not here to catch you out, no. So you yeah, know, exactly. We won't, no, we won't be editing your answer, though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, this is one of the disadvantages of not having been the shadow ag minister before the election. But um, the uh, but no, look, I think you know. I but you, that, you, you um, can talk in hindsight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Look, I think that it was um, clearly. I think it's produced a result. Um, it has been a key way of reopening those negotiations. And that's a good thing. Um, you know, I think that I, I think probably the two things that have led to us being able to reopen those negotiations are the WTO action um, and also um, the huge effort that um, our government has put in on the diplomatic front since coming to office. And, you know, I think both of those things contributed. So can I can I, can I can I make a point, actually? Mm. And I don't want to be the doer Scotsman. That I seem to have been stereotyped as, and my people have been stereotyped as for a thousand years. Well, I'm half Scottish, so I'll, I'll let you off on that. Well, there we go. Uh, it's not all positive, though. Increased trade with China. Hmm. You mean in terms of uh, overly concentrating on one market? No. I'm meaning, I'm meaning. Last year, I managed to afford rock lobster. And so, got so, it. so you got to think of us lowly paid analysts. You know, I think I'm, I'm going gonna... to be back on McDonald's chicken nuggets for next year's. <laughs> I, was, I was actually going to ask the question that Murray's already alluded to there with regards to that level of diversification or even the level of reliance that we we're not. We're, try, not yeah. we're not going to get into this argument again, are we? No, no, no. I'm just saying that obviously, you know, and it's a funny, it's a bit of a dichotomy in ag because. You know, anyone that looks at, and it's beyond ag with other exports too, that we in some spaces are heavily reliant on China as a key customer, you know, both ways to a degree with trade. But then also, you know, that puts us in sometimes difficult positions. And, you know, that's the question that I'd say to you is, is you know, even though the importance of China is there, they've, they've got huge growth prospects, um, you know, and they're a, key, they're a key player for us to look at in ag. Should, should we always be looking for alternatives and other free trade agreements um, so that we do diversify that, that spread of risk? 
100% we should be. And I think if there's one silver lining that's come from uh, this experience with China, it's shown Australian producers and Australians in general that we do need much more diverse markets than what we've had in the past. And that applies to agriculture, to international education, to tourism, um, to a whole range of industries. And I think that in hindsight, we did become overly reliant on one market. And I can understand why. It's a massive market, a growing market, paying premium prices. Um, but, you know, there are risks in doing that. And do you know, um, do, do I you think... Know... Yeah. Mark, do you want a prediction, Murray, as a as a market analyst, love one. As, as, love as, one. as one of Australia's leading market analysts, and I've got it right <laughs> on barley every time, including predicting the tariff. Um, China will be Australia's biggest barley destination as soon as it's open again, because Australia doesn't Australia doesn't trade a single ton of barley. It's individual trading. As I said, and I'm not going to use this argument yeah. again, Matt. But yeah, I've used yeah. it on about hundred podcasts. Yes, I've heard it many times now. It's individual trading companies that trade Australian barley, not Australia per se. And so they're going to go to where the biggest amount of money is. And at the moment and into the future, that will be China for the foreseeable future, especially on malt barley. So if you want to take that bet, uh, it's $50. Um, I don't think it would be wise for a mere politician to bet against a market analyst. Um, But look, and look, you you may well be right. Um, I've caught up. I've caught up with some of the uh, grain handlers and bulk handlers um, over the last couple of months. And, you know, they're certainly excited about the mm. opportunity for that comes with China. Um, but th- what they've been telling me is that they, they, they do intend to remain a more diversified, um, you know, ma- have more diversified markets than what they have done in the past. But let's Provi- face it, you know, provided, people follow provided, the data, provided uh, they make it a profit. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, interestingly as well, like, um, I, I guess I had been led to believe that the the prices that uh, people have been receiving for their barley had oh, you know, dramatically don't crashed. Oh, well, okay. No, right, okay. again, some of the some of the handlers were some of the handlers were telling me that it hadn't quite been as bad as what had people had feared. But you you probably have the figures. I'll to, um, I'll I'll I'll, right I'll, I'll email your report telling you of my free review of the barley trade <laughs> and why people say that it's not affected them on price, but if we yeah. look at a whole bunch of different variables, the price is down on where it should be. You would you would certainly think so. Yeah, um, it could have it could have been better given the global circumstance. You know, when you overlay what happened with global pricing and Ukraine I think issues, it's one, one, one point two billion. Is my back of the cigarette packet in terms of what it costs the Australian grower over three years or the, or the sector? Yeah. yeah, sector. Yeah. yeah. So well, anyway, and, 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 and let, let, let's be honest, people wouldn't be so eager to have that market reopened if there hadn't been a financial consequence. Um, but 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 as I say, I mean, it's one of the reasons we've been putting a lot of effort into opening up new markets, new FTAs to the more, to give people options. The more doors open, the better. That's what we always say. Absolutely. So that was the easy one. You had to, you started <laughs> off easy. Hmm. Is there, if we're going to move off on trade because I wouldn't mind seeing, is there any, so we're starting to see a little bit of good news for barley, good news for timber released today. Um, it, it seems as though at least in the in the movement of beef going through China, there's less delay in their customs process of Australian beef going through, but there are still some abattoirs that are out in the cold, um, export abattoirs, do, do, and, and with regards to wine and say rock lobster, you know, do you know, have you seen of any kind of potential, you know, positive signs in, in those other three commodities, beef? Uh, wine and rock lobster in terms of how we might be able to get some traction there? 
Yeah, I've certainly been hearing some of that anecdotal information around beef myself, um, but there's nothing really official at this point in time. Uh, and similarly, I couldn't really point to anything official in relation to wine or rock lobster either. But that's where that point I was making about having some processes to resolve mm. these issues now agreed to is, I guess, the first step. Um, as you're aware, you know, so, the so it's like it's like the, the uh, it's like the red telephone between. <laughs> Washington and Moscow <laughs> between the I'd ag departments the kind the kind of the kind of silence the kind of yeah, silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Murray's a similar age yeah Murray's a similar age you know all about the kind of silence I, yeah I grew up on Maxwell Smart I don't know um, what you're doing, but didn't it didn't it air in Scotland uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if they had TV back TVs. in those days. <laughs> Could, couldn't afford electricity. That's why. That's how why. About the, how about the goodies? Did you? Did the goodies? Make yeah, they, the goodies would have been surely. The goodies. goodies would have been. The goodies are like the comedians. Are good. They were the, the goodies I used to watch as well. I think I'm pretty sure Murray and I shared similar TV. I think, I think we did. We grew up watching and, the ABC by the sound of it. I think we're within a couple of years of each other. So. Um, Except you're, the ag minister, except you're the ag minister and I'm a lowly uh, analyst. Um, so, 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 maybe so, maybe so, you won. Maybe you won. So that's uh, less pressure anyway. Let's uh, yeah. stick on grains just now, yeah? And, and ag in general and trade. One of those things is uh, we, had a, we had a chat with Colin Bettles last week. You know mm -hmm. Colin from GPA. He's a good guy. Uh, well... <laughs> Anyway, he doesn't yeah. like cricket, so that's he does like cricket. So. <laughs> and he didn't like black pudding. No, he didn't like black pudding. Haggis, no, no, so wasn't a fan. Wasn't a fan. Failed. But he, but he liked Crocs. I think so. He, he, he was again Crocs. one of those 50 fifties. You know? Okay. Uh, but he's, he's, he's there's a yin and yang between them. So, biosecurity levies. Yes. Everyone seems to be. Everyone seems to be upset about them. Talking about that. So, how is it going to work? Um, well, for starters, I would say that not, I don't think everyone is actually upset with it. Um, I was in Rockhampton this week uh, with cattle producers from central Queensland. And, you know, without wanting to put words in their mouth, the impression I got was that they were okay with it, provided they had some genuine input into how the money is spent. And I think that's fair enough. And in fact, we committed to that. So that, that, was, um, that was my next sort of question. In uh, under the product, if it's a levy, and don't hold me on this if I'm wrong, so any of the listeners will tell me if I'm wrong anyway, because mm -hmm. uh, most of them are policymakers. Uh, <laughs> under the product, individual levy peak bodies have to have oversight of how that money is spent. So it has to be a form of democratized money, in effect. Is that what's going to happen with this biosecurity levy? I don't see it working exactly that way um why don't i why don't i answer your first question and then come to the second one because i sort of dodged your first one didn't i the um how it's how it's going to work is that well just take a step back you know we obviously in the budget what we've been able to achieve for the very first time ever in australia is long-term sustainable biosecurity funding and everyone from the nff down has been calling for that for years and the problem has been that the biosecurity budget um, has has had a base funding that has been too low mm -hmm. and it's yep. been topped up year to year with in, injections of extra funding with no real certainty for the future. And we wanted to get away from that. We made an election commitment to change that and now we've delivered it. Um, now, then the next question is who pays for it? Um, a lot of people have sort of missed in this debate that we actually are putting up these mm. on importers right. from the no, 1st I, of July I, this I never, year. I never missed that. Um, I read, yeah, the, I read yeah. the budget. Um, 
That's good. That's good. And happy to talk about a container levy if you'd like to, because that's still, you know, potentially could happen too. I was I was going to ask about container levy, but it sounds like you're too prepared for that. So he's all out. all all the avenues. He's got us cornered. He's so good. Well, yeah, I've had I've I've had a few conversations about this over the last couple of weeks. So, but um, so but and and so there's potentially a container levy. Importers fees up. Taxpayers fees up. Um, uh, increase when you travel overseas, you'll pay a bit more on your passenger movement charge, recognising airports are a gateway, um, a new charge on biosecurity clearances for parcels that are coming into the country of low value because online shopping is booming, biosecurity risks from that. And then the producers, basically what we've seen is um, just as producers pay uh, a levy to the RDCs at mm-hmm. the moment, the Research and Development Corporations for R&D and marketing. Um, what we've said is that we thought the simplest way to enable producers to make a contribution would be another 10% on the levies they pay to their RDCs. But don't they already um, pay a levy to Plant Health Australia and Animal Health Australia? And they've got eradication they, schemes? Well, so pretty much all producers pay an annual fee to Plant Health Australia and Animal Health Australia to help with the operational costs of those organisations. Um, taxpayers obviously put in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but and then if there if there is an outbreak affecting a particular commodity, then what? producers pay a levy to help for the compensation of the cost of that outbreak. Like Varroa, mate. Um, yeah, like Varroa, mate. So mm-hmm. beekeepers are paying that kind of levy at the moment. There's probably others as well. Uh, in fact, I was talking to banana growers yesterday. They were talking mm. to me about some of the levies they pay. But I guess, I guess, philosophically, my position was that um, we, you know, we recognise that producers do pay those fees at the moment. Um, uh, but it's also, I think, in their interests to be having a funding system in place that addresses prevention and protection from these events in the first place. And if we can actually get the biosecurity system functioning properly, that should be able to reduce the levies that people are paying when outbreaks occur. And to put it really simply, I guess the way I've thought about it is that if I'm going to ask a shop assistant working in Brisbane, my hometown, or, you know, someone working in a factory in Mackay or somewhere in Victoria to pay a bit more for their taxes for biosecurity, I think it's fair enough to ask producers who are big beneficiaries of the system to pay a little bit to protect their livelihoods. And, you know, that 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 10% on the additional levies um, it's, I don't think it's a huge amount to ask, you know, for for a banana grower. As I say, I was meeting with them yesterday. It's less. It's about a fifth of a cent per kilogram extra that they will pay. About the same for an apple grower. Um, for a cattle farmer, you're talking about fifty cents a head. And the net result is that for our operational funding, importers will still pay close to fifty percent of the cost. Taxpayers about forty four percent. Producers six percent with a couple of percent elsewhere from australia post yeah. i just i think that's a pretty small amount to and, ask and so you of still, people who can really benefit but you're still expecting that there'll be a container levy at some point in the future um we are we are giving or, that active consideration um the uh to be honest with you um the the issue there are some trade law issues around that that's that we was, need to work our way through because yeah. that's, that's what i was wondering if you have an import levy mm. does that mean that you run up into things with ftas and whatnot potentially in terms of, yeah, because it's barriers it's, barriers to trade or something is it would that be class, yeah, ent- non-tariff barrier barrier well to well, be honest, well, that's, well, that's, that's exactly barrier. what 
That's yeah. exactly what we've got to work through. And mm. I guess I didn't want to be in the situation of the former government, you know, going out and promising to do a container levy and then having to back down a few months later. I'd actually rather do do the work properly. Um, and if we, if we can do it in a way that it stands up legally, then I'm absolutely open to doing it. Um, it's just that in the time available before the budget, we couldn't properly resolve those issues. Um, but I spoke to Fiona Simpson about this again yesterday from the NFF and gave her an assurance that we will genuinely look at it because I think it is fair that importers pay their fair share of this as well. Yeah, you, you came. We mentioned about how you've been now nearly a year, Murray. And when you first got in, it wasn't that long into the tenure that you were hit with the, <laughs> the prospect of the, FMD the, the and worst, LSD. That must have um, been the worst first quarter for any ag minister so in history. Welcome, was, to, was, welcome to agriculture. It, yeah, um, it was pretty how, tough. <laughs> yeah. How um how how do you think we're tracking now in terms of obviously those two diseases are still running around Indonesia um, to varying degrees, looking like they're slowly getting on top of it. But what's the, what's the current status from the government's perspective in terms of how are we looking? Are we, are we, are we comfortable we're keeping those two, uh, LSD and, and foot and mouth at bay still? Yeah, look, it, it was absolutely a baptism of fire. It was week five in the job um, when FMD got to Bali um, and basically every news bulletin that was leading the news and every conversation you'd have uh, was about that and people were rightly concerned about it really worried about it because it would have been devastating um and you know there were people out there who were whipping it up and uh, that's my that, that, to be closed that was that was my that next question that was why well, yeah. this question so it's a good, good tangent there we we were in a lot of those media reports we had it we had a fantastic podcast with um, right. dr skip from the, the yes Chief yes I, I think i listened to it at the time yeah. and that, that was on the day that it was found in bali I think so. It was. Yeah. It was yeah, released right. on that day. Good timing. Yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic yeah. timing. Yes. If you want the news, come to Ag Watchers. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but well, it's the day China reopened the forestry yep. trade. The yep. day the FMD hit Bali. And uh, so, you make the news, you guys. Ukraine war. China yeah, we, really? ban. We had a we had a live broadcast into Ukraine. To Ukraine, yeah, Kiev. The, the day of the invasion, um, wow. and the two the two as, ladies as, that as were in, their, as they're in their car, as they were, yeah, as one wow. was fleeing Kiev. Um, that was that was so people, surreal. Well, so people should really listen to your analytical <laughs> reports. That you get the forecast right, you can predict the future. Should do. <laughs> uh, but but my my question actually was about the FMD is. Like mm. we, we did a lot of FMD. I, I have a background in FMD because I've done my UN, United Nations, EU training in FMD. He just likes putting his hand up. Uh, and, and also, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I come from an area that was infected by yeah. disease in the 2000s. And yes. It, yes. Was a, it was a blight on my teenage years. But there was a lot of people out there calling for a lot of what I would call nonsense on stilts. You know, <laughs> we have to close the borders. Uh, we have to no agricultural no, shows. No agricultural shows. Uh, yeah. foot, yep. foot, people were asking for foot baths in airports. Foot baths at airports, which slushing, have slushing, which, which have almost a zero percent efficacy rate. Mm. So, yep. do you think Australia's done? I, I no, I'm not going to answer it. But do you think Australia's done a good job in the last year of? Keep- well, I guess the proof is in the pudding in that we haven't had those disease come into Australia. And touch wood, it will stay that way. Um, where you know where we're absolutely not being complacent about it um and i'm very conscious that however long i stay in this role um whether it be two more years 20 more years um this will be an issue that we need to be concerned about um mm. so uh, but you're right it was you know i think the whole situation for people um who would be affected by this was stressful enough without 
some of the irresponsible scaremongering that went on uh, by certain people in politics, certain people in the media, um, and it didn't help. And you would have seen the results of that in the prices um, that people were getting at the Absolutely. time. It definitely had an impact. Um, so that that was that was pretty challenging, I guess, especially being I, I, so I, I, early give it, in the I, job. I'll give you an example, Murray. Uh, Matt was on a TV interview or... Oh. It was a request that I didn't get, I didn't get chosen. Yeah, yeah. You, got, you got recorded, but you said, yeah, recorded, don't, but I was, don't, yeah. don't worry, guys. Like It's not here yet. It has to go through yeah. a whole bunch of stuff. Calm the horses. Yeah. They cut him on the cutting floor. Yeah, it didn't and, suit and, the narrative, did it? And, 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 and put somebody in who said, you know, there's going to be no shut, more beef shut, left. Shut, shut the borders. Shut the borders. Exactly. Shut the borders. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, and look, I think, you know, if there's, if there's one good thing that came from it, it is that, you know, biosecurity got on the average Australian's lips, whether they work in agriculture or they live in a big city. And frankly, that has been one of the things that made, made it possible for, for me to convince our cabinet that this, this is something that does need more funding and does need serious effort um, because it is a risk to the whole sector. And, you know, whether people would have seen it that way without that threat, I'm not sure. Um, and, um, but, you know, to come back to Matt's original question, you know, we're, 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 yeah, we're not complacent about it. We're obviously continuing to work with Indonesia. You, you would be aware it's now considered endemic there. So it's going to be mm -hmm. there for a while, um, mm -hmm. just as it was last time they had an outbreak. But but then again, you know, I think it's about 70 odd countries around the world that have got FMD. Um, and, just, and there are many countries that Australians travel to, trade with, and it hasn't got here. So, you know, I've never regarded it as inevitable that these diseases will come to Australia. Obviously, lumpy skin disease is a greater risk still because yep. of the potential for it to be blown in uh, via mosquitoes, and we can't be again complacent there. So, yeah, I think I think as I say, as long as I'm in this job, it's going to be Probably. front and centre in our thinking. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those issues that needs bipartisan support, always, really, isn't it? In that sense. Yeah, um, I, I'd like to think so. I mean, we didn't necessarily get it in the early days, but um, the I, you know, frankly, I think. A range of people in uh, the agriculture industry had a few chats with a certain national party members and said, "Can you pull your heads in?" Uh, because you know, I understand you're trying to score some political points, but as I say, it was it was having an impact on prices for livestock. It, our trading partners were asking questions um, because you know I might go out there and say to people that it's not here, but if if everything if all this noise is around suggesting that it might be or that it might come that that's really damaging so you know fortunately those people who were who were um being pretty reckless did start pulling their heads in and that was i think a good thing for the industry so just going, going back to the budget yeah there's, there was two things mm. that i noticed that uh i'm going back to greens because that's my area <laughs> yep because uh, i know we're going to talk about livestock in a second i imagine <laughs> um, the i can feel it coming <laughs> the Two of the emissions that GPA and GGL were concerned about was there was they had requested or lobbied for a review of grain and the grain mm -hmm. pricing mechanisms, mm -hmm. uh, or an a, they wanted an ACCC investigation or a productivity commission into yep. pricing because grain prices have been discounted versus the rest of the world, and also fertilizer transparency. Is that something that might come in in a future budget or? Um, we. I mean, those things are, are still under consideration. I have had a number of discussions with both GPA and grain growers uh, about their desire to have a, a market-based um, inquiry. 
Um, uh, initially, both of the organisations wanted it done by the ACCC. You may have seen that grain growers are now sort of just happy with an inquiry, not so concerned about who does it. Um, but I'll be honest with you, what I've said to both of them is that at this point in time, we haven't been convinced by the evidence they've been able to provide that um, that the that there is that the reason for those issues around prices are what they say they are. Um, because the I've, I've obtained advice from Maybears about this, and I don't know about you, but I think they're pretty pretty good uh, modelers and pretty good analysts themselves. And what they've been saying to me not, not, is not that as, the not issues as, not as funny, though. not as good as you, not, not, not as, definitely not, not as funny. Um, <laughs> definitely yeah. not as funny. <laughs> they're much more professional. <laughs> Um, all due respect to Jared Greenville and his yep. team, you know, we don't... Oh, Jared, Jared, Jared's, Jared's funny. Rowan's funny. Hmm? Okay, I've probably spent more time with Jared and we have very serious conversations, uh, but I'll have to look for his funny side as well. I'm sure it's there. <laughs> the, um, the, but no, I mean, what Abares have said to me is that um, there have been issues around grain prices, but they've been more to do with uh, climate conditions here in Australia versus other countries. So... Obviously, the US in particular was going through drought. Um, that affected their production levels. That supply. That they were getting better prices. Yeah, so supply and demand, whereas yeah. we were going through very good rainfall conditions, producing lots of grain, um, supplying lots of grain, and that, that meant the price was a bit lower. So where I've left it with... V victims of our own success. Victims of yeah, our own success, yeah. not being able and to get it out quick enough. Yeah. yeah, well, that, that's the whole, that is an issue, obviously, that, again, I've spoken with them as the, the infrastructure needs of the sector. And, and I, I recognise that's a challenge when you're producing so much. But I, what I've said to both those groups is that, you know, if I, I'm not going to call an inquiry lightly, like that is an ex big exercise and it's a commitment of resources. And I do need to be convinced that um, the, the reasons for the price issues are, you know, what they say they are. And if, if they can convince me of that, then I'm happy to do it. But but we so we're sort of still in discussion around that. Um, I haven't had quite as many conversations with them about the fertilizer um, issues. Obviously, everyone knows that fertilizer costs have gone through the roof. Although I read the other day that they are starting to come down a bit, which is good. Mm. Um, but um, uh, so I probably haven't got quite as much to say on that one. I haven't talked about that with them quite as much. That's cool. Well, you probably uh, heard you probably heard um, my sheepdogs barking in the background. They're just reminding me to to make sure that um, I, I question you on the live sheep side of things. So they're, I think they're not even real sheepdogs. He's just he has <laughs> he has that sound effect there. So he uh, so he sounds like he's a country fellow. <laughs> it's a Spotify playlist for sheepdogs. He's in his Melbourne apartment. Yeah, no, unfortunately <laughs> they they were carrying on. But no, so I will switch across if Andrew's finished on his on his you know fertilizer and grain inquiry. Live sheep's obviously another one that's been, um, you know, kind of. I think you described it as challenging. Um, yeah. You know, so we're we're going through this now, the stage of the phase eight. I mean, to I guess your credit, and previously, I've had a few um, discussions over the years with the likes of Joel Fitzgibbon when he was in your role previously, um, both in opposition and, and and when he was minister as well, um, around you know what what what's planned for that sector, and he was also equally. Uh, clear in his um, in his direction and, and unwavering. So I've got to give credit where it's due that you're not yeah you know, you're prepared to continue to say what you're saying openly and honestly. Um, I don't I don't agree obviously with the policy myself, but you know what, what with regards to that live sheep export space, um, are you satisfied with how this kind of panel is is, is delivering the phase out or, or, or working through that process now? Yeah, I, I think I mean given it is a, such a challenging topic. Um, 
I, I think that the panel has been doing a good job. Um, obviously, there were some issues around the consultation sessions in, in WA, but the panel acknowledged that they, they probably could have done it differently in retrospect. Um, I understand you know, their reasons that, you know, it is a very busy time for sheep farmers at the moment. And I think the panel felt that by setting up virtual forums, that might make it a bit easier for people to participate rather than face-to-face. But of course, people wanted the face-to-face opportunity. But the upside of that, I guess, is that by having those community town halls, the panel's now heard directly from well over a thousand people. Um, and that's a good thing that people have got to have, got to have their say. So, um, yeah, I mean, as I say, it's a challenging topic and very strong, very strong views on both sides of the debate. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, obviously, the producers reacted very strongly, but, but you know, there's a lot of people out there um, who have very different views to the producers. And I guess our job as a government is to, to sort of work out how to balance those different opinions. Um, you know, as you know, we've gone to two elections now committing to do this. And, um, you know, so I guess I sort of feel that people can't really say they're surprised um, that we did this. Um, but we've also acknowledged that um, it is a big change um, for people in the industry. And while there are some people who would like us to do this tomorrow, we've said we're not going to phase it out in this term of government because the industry would not need time to adjust. Um, but as you will have heard me say, um, I do think that we can still have a very strong sheep industry in WA. It's just going to be different. And, you know, again, I do think there are some real opportunities around onshore processing. Um, you know, while the, the, I think you've observed, Matt, that, you know, the, the live sheep export trade has fallen dramatically in numbers over um, the last 10, 15 years. Um, I think it's fallen about 70% in numbers, even just over the last five to 10 years. Yes, um, but at the same time, the, yeah, the, at the same time, the market for sheep meat is booming. Well, um, well, and a lot of that yeah. fall has actually occurred since your predecessor introduced the Northern Hemisphere moratorium. That's right. That, well, basic, that where, basically like, killed it, effectively. Yeah, and I, I do find it ironic that my predecessor is now um, demanding that we keep an industry open when he managed to reduce the trade by 70%. Um, and, you know, for right, for the good reasons. But it's not as if this is... I mean, the reality is this is an industry that is in transition. Um, the numbers have fallen. Uh, farmers have had to adjust to that, and it's been difficult. And And I recognise that this will be difficult to go that bit further. But, you know, uh, again, it would take time to have the facilities, the workforce to do more processing onshore. We couldn't do that overnight. Um, but if we can come up with a good phase-out arrangement, I do think that there's some opportunities to expand that, and that means more jobs for Australia, export dollars for Australia, um, producers can still make an income, um, uh, and, but we can recognise that there is very strong community sentiment against this industry, and there has been for some time. And uh, that, that, that phase-out is, is going to be at the earliest the next term? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we've got the panel working on, is how and when this phase-out should occur. Um, so we didn't set a time frame deliberately because we wanted to talk with people about that and understand you know, what would work. Uh, and I've got an open mind about that. But it, it, we have both the Prime Minister and I have said that we won't be ending the trade in this term um, because it would take time to adjust. Um, and uh, I guess I'm, I'm waiting to see what the recommendations of the panel are and their report is due to me on the 30th of September. Um, interesting. I know you're, you're fairly busy and get around the country a bit, but I think it was just the day before in West Australian country, our Belinda Varischetti interviewed 
the CEO of um, the QAT importer, yeah. basically. He's out in Australia presently. Yeah, QLTT now. And um, TT. Um, he, yeah, yeah. All right. If you, if you insist, <laughs> you're wrong. Um, so um, he was mentioning about the prospect of a reopening of the Saudi market, which you know, historically was a very big market my, for my, us. My apologies, Matt. It is QLTT. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Always, I always, thought it always, was, but I wasn't 100% always sure. Always happy, so always know. happy to, um, you know, that's one thing we do do on Ag Watchers is when we, when we get it wrong, we, we, we step up it's, and iron it. Ne- it's never, it's, it has never happened. <laughs> never, never, well, there never. you go. I'm, I'm pleased to be here for a first. Um, there you go. You've witnessed something um, that hardly ever occurs. Um, so, yeah, just getting back to that. So there's a, a suggestion that maybe the Saudis were just about ready to look to re-engage and start to take Australian lamb potentially both live and boxed, but now there's all this confusion around the potential closure um, and it's, and suggesting that it may impact upon obviously that potential market. Do you think um, that's a valid concern, you know, across that kind of segment into the Middle East? There obviously is a clear preference with some of those countries to take a live animal uh, for, you know, for, for, for consumer preference reasons. Um, and I think some of the work that we've done on episode three, I think Andrew did this one that showed that there is a bit of a, you know, when it comes to box product or, live product if if the live product's not available for a lot of these players they they don't necessarily switch into box they just go somewhere else for the live product Um, although they they did in 2019 it was that was uh, it was after the moratorium yeah they they switched quite quickly to box meat for yeah but they according six or six or seven percent and then they switched back again where yeah because and that's what this um yeah yep yep so so there is that kind of argument around that Australia is going to get out of the sector and then it's going to flow to, to animals that are going from somewhere else that don't maybe have the, the high SCAS standards that we have in place. Is that a concern for, for you guys at all or is that is that not really a consideration because the focus is now just towards phase-out? Yeah, I've certainly uh, had that argument put to me. And, again, one of the issues that we've asked the panel, the panel to consider is the impact of this decision on our trading relationships with uh, with particularly Kuwait, but um, uh, Middle Eastern countries in general who import um, uh, live sheep at the moment. Um, obviously, those trading relationships are important to us, and not just in relation to the sheep industry. Mm. Um, mm. And we want to we want to keep those relationships on foot. Um, but I think I think just because other countries might pick up that trade isn't a reason for us to do what. I think the Australian people think is the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, we obviously have opportunities to advance um, our position on these issues at a range of international forums. Um, but we, it's a bit hard for us to argue that other countries shouldn't export live sheep if we do it ourselves. So I think, you know, we would have still have the opportunity to argue that this is not something that should be happening um, from any country and that we should be moving more towards um, boxed uh, boxed meat um, rather than live kills. But, but I think in terms of the impact on, on our market, um, as Andrew says, I think there is some evidence to show that there is demand for um, boxed meat um, uh, processed on Australian shores in the Middle East. Uh, as I understand it, the demand for that is growing, um, even in the Middle East, but it's certainly growing in other countries. And obviously we've got the, we've got the UK FTA uh, coming into force on the 31st of May. We've got the India FTA now, which includes uh, sheep, uh, better sheep uh, market access. We're obviously hoping to do a deal with the EU over the course of this year, which uh, could produce some good 
openings for sheep meat. So I guess I, I still see good opportunities uh, for sheep meat exports, if not live sheep. What we need, oh, no. right, what we need <laughs> is another 2018. We need ASF to break out in China and demand for mutton goes absolutely skyrocketing. And then you want to worry about it, but but really, what we're talking about is a is a transition package to, uh, I guess, ameliorate or reduce the potential economic and social impact of the phase out of the trade. So, yeah, and I, pretty much, I mean, I, I as I say, I recognise that this is going to have an impact on producers in WA, and not just producers. There's there's the supply chain in general. You know, there's the truckies. There's a range of other people who are. Uh, employed in this industry and we do need to think about what the economic impact of that is on them i mean you know if we can move towards more, more processing we'll still need truckies for instance to transport sheep to abattoirs um uh, maybe not quite as many um maybe not as not as frequent not that. as frequent number of trips maybe not as frequent yeah. and we and we need to deal with that um but um, but yeah, we I, I think you know we, it, we recognise that this is going to have an impact on people, and we do need to come up with a transition uh, package and arrangements. And again, that's exactly what I'm looking forward to getting some recommendations on from the panel. Mm. Can I, can not, I ask, so, ask you another question there? Like uh, you're obviously a public figure. And apparently, apparently. <laughs> well, now that you're an ag watcher, you are. Um, exactly. Is up until then it was all amateur hour. Lucky I did it. Lucky but I did it. You must get a lot of flack about almost everything how, how do you put up with that yeah uh you just I guess ign it is, is it ignore it i guess it is part of being in public life and um i had one term in the queensland state parliament um before i became a senator um but i was never a minister and you know this is um obviously at a whole different level um, but yeah, you've got to have a thick skin if you're going into politics. There's no doubt about it. Um, and you know, there there are times when it sort of gets to you. But um, I've I guess I've learnt to not take it to heart. Um, I think I think you know we live in a democracy. People have got to be able to have their say. But you know, as long, sometimes as long as it, as long top. as it's done in a polite and civil manner. And, and yeah, it's in, rarely it's, it, it's rarely done that way in my experience. But as long as everyone's <laughs> entitled to my opinion. Yeah, I'm, yeah. So, but well, before, I don't, I don't it, pay quite as much. Of, put this way, I don't put pay quite as much attention to the uh, people on Twitter giving you a free character assessment when they're not prepared to put their own names. <laughs> no, that's true. And there's we a get few of them of, around. Yeah, we get some of them. But look, it'd be remiss of me, and I don't want to dwell on the live shit because, and mm. there'd be probably some people within the sector that know me and would be annoyed if I, I'm not going to prosecute all the arguments for, for you know, keeping the trade, because I'm sure you hear them all the time. Um, one thing I just wanted to say is, is that, like, and there could be a lot of things I could say to you to try and, you know, bring in data and science to try and um, change your opinion, which I'm sure you've heard again from many people already. Are they, are they effectively barking up the wrong tree, um, pursuing that pursuing that agenda still, trying to get change of policy? Should they, should the industry just be falling in line now and saying, what, you know? What the industry should be doing, yeah, is it should be, what's that saying you said this morning, Matt? Well, I'm sure I say lots of sayings. Um, about, the, to, about the tent? About the tent? Oh, yeah. Better to be inside uh, the tent pissing out than pissing on, side the, on, on the tent from the outside or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because, because yeah. industry bodies, let's, let's use an example, sheep wool ever they should be aiming for the betterment of the producer regardless of whether it's live export or fresh or chilled or frozen it doesn't matter as long as the price is right yeah i guess my my personal approach has always been to be someone who's in the tent 
um, I think that you can be more effective when you're doing that. I mean, I'm not going to tell those producers or their groups what to do, but and again, it's a democracy. They can say or do whatever they want, but we've certainly encouraged people to be part of the process um, because I think that we will get a better outcome. And, you know, I've, when, when I went over to Perth and announced the membership of the panel, um, I think that was the moment for a lot of people that they realised we were actually going to do this. Um, and uh, I just sort of detected that from the sort of level of surprise or, or, or anger uh, or shock about that. And I've been, I've been very consistent from day one when I've dealt with the industry. I went over to Perth probably about five or six weeks into the job um, and went to some of the export yards, met with the exporters, met with the farmers. Um, and at the time, they were trying to convince me to change the policy. I said, well, we're not going to do that. Like, we made a commitment, but happy to work with you about how we do this. And, you know, I think you've got to be straight with people um, rather than, if I can say the word bullshit, rather than bullshit people about it. And Ooh, That's going um, to be on ABC tomorrow. Minister, we're have to, Minister <laughs> swears. <laughs> we might have to put a swearing warning on the beginning of this, this episode. <laughs> it's, it's, um, there's one that's there's one that's there all the time. There's a standard one. <laughs> yeah, standard. <laughs> but, but, but I think, um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, we're not going to change the policy, but I do, I do think that we will get a better outcome for producers and the wider industry if we have engagement from their organisations. And even though some of them said they're just not going to engage in the process, my experience has been that many of them have been willing to at least talk about, you know, their thoughts, but, but they're very clear that they oppose the policy but and I understand that. It's all about getting the best deal. Like, regardless of whether you agree with or without the, uh, the live export phase-out, it's about getting whatever is the best deal that's on the table, and well, you, you, can't negotiate, you can't negotiate. You can't negotiate that from the outside. So when yeah, when when when, when you start subsidising farmers, you know five hundred dollars a head for cheap, <laughs> and, and from, tw from twenty twenty six onwards, <laughs> I, I do have solutions. We've already given solutions to the mutton trade because that's it's really the mutton trade is the issue, isn't it, Matt? Uh, no, there's there's where there's there's the mirroring where does it go a lot too. So you that's know, mutton, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it's old, it's probably old, broader than that. Old, older, it's older, older sheep. Animals, yeah. It's older animals, yeah. Yeah. Scotch pies, mm -hmm. which is they're much better than Australian pies. Haggis. Haggis. Steady on. Haggis. <laughs> sort that out. I've already saved the wool industry by encouraging the use of kilts. <laughs> and uh, so, if people start taking on my suggestions, the industry will be saved. I'd like to see Bob Catter in a, in a kilt. He said, well, Bob mentioned Bob, 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 Scottish, Scottish, Scottish heritage. Can you wear crops with kilts? Oh, I've sent you a picture. Andrew, Andrew does. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so one of the, I guess one of the challenges, this is a good segue, yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, and you might like this because I disagreed with the policy of the previous government. Right in the FTA with the, what do you call it? The backpackers. Oh, the UK one. The UK allowing yeah, allowing yeah. pommies to, uh, so I can say that now because I'm Australian. Mm -hmm. uh, allowing pommies to not have to do the, whatever, 90 days working in regional areas, which is about 25% of all backpackers are pommies. Mm -hmm. And that takes away a big chunk of potential farm labor and regional labour in pubs and pie shops and whatever it may be. 
so that and they had sort of said about an ag visa and so that's sort of they didn't deliver that in the previous yeah. government how are we going to find replacements for all these workers when the rest of the world is actually like uk europe usa canada unemployment rates are like five percent below across all yeah. those countries how are we going to get labor yes well i think i said at the beginning in your quiz that you know agriculture is not the only industry that's experiencing mm. this dramatic workforce shortage um but but as i say there are particular issues the regional nature of agriculture or a lot of agriculture um uh and and obviously agriculture has had workforce shortages as long as i can remember um you know every every avocado season there's stories about the avocados are going to need to be plowed into the ground because there's not enough pickers mango pickers etc etc so this is a long-term problem i guess but is it's what i'm saying probably been, so, probably been exacerbated by covid absolutely absolutely again as has every industry so mm. um and i guess the approach we've taken um you may have seen we out of the jobs and skills summit that the government staged last year we formed that tripartite working group that involved the NFF and other farm employer groups, um, AMIC, the Meat Industry Council, mm -hmm. the yep. Horticulture Council, Australian Dairy Farmers, and the farm unions and government um, sitting in a room starting to talk through some of these issues so that we could come up with some real enduring solutions. And I was actually surprised when we started putting that together to realise how little contact those farming farm employer groups and unions had had over a very long time um you know they've obviously been traditional adversaries uh in the media and other things but there'd been very little discussion between them and in the in the <clears throat> in the conversations i was having with each of those groups independently i was actually really surprised by the number of things they were saying that where they actually agreed with each other um but they'd never been so for, in, for one example around labor hire um the obviously the farm unions had been concerned about labor hire and some of the exploitation that we've seen through that but the farm groups by and large were also really concerned about it because you know they thought it was the wrong thing but also it was very damaging to the reputation of the mm -hmm. industry so you know by actually getting these people working together and 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 helping come up with those solutions i think we've been able to come up with some good outcomes already so i've got i've, um, got, I've got a solution for it is it your friend i, think I know what you're going to say was this the uh, Guatemalan friend? Guatemala, Guatemala. Uh, that was one of them. I've got another one. If that, if that's to, uh, we go back to the old days. In what way? How far back are you referring to? Are you talking child labour or? <laughs> uh, we go back to the the foundation of modern Australia. Is that the right term? Uh, I'm not. I'm not even so sure where you're heading with this one. I'm, I'm, I'm about as so nervous as Murray is. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to say? Well, as part of that free trade agreement with the UK, mm. UK has got a massive overcurving problem in its prisons. <laughs> okay. So we get you the boats. Few, we get, we uh, get the boats. We get the boats moving again. <laughs> <laughs> is that off the rec That's off the uh, uh, agenda. I'm not really. Let's say we're not making that a priority. Okay. Um, that innovative solution. But what, um, what about with Guatemala? So? Yeah. So. I'll, I'll, why don't I talk about the Guatemalans, but I, I do want to tell you a little bit about some of the things that are happening. The, so you, you have raised the Guatemalan issue with me when we've met up at a, at a function in Canberra. I think it was the Farmer of the Year Awards. Yep. And um, 
I also raised, I also I also raised some other things, but we'll go, we'll talk about that you in did, a second. You did. You, we raised haggis and, and probably some things <laughs> I've forgotten. But um, the uh, you've, you've, uh, you've scrubbed from your memory due to emotional um, <laughs> that's right, trauma. No emotional trauma. The, yeah. Um, my office has actually met with the Guatemalan ambassador. Um, you'll and be pleased to hear, Andrew. Um, and uh, we um, obviously these sort of involve immigration matters, and we've connected him with the immigration minister's office. Uh, and I think there have been some discussions there, but the reality is that whenever, when it, I mean, there are a range of visa options that are already open to people from Guatemala or any other country um, that could be accessed. Um, but, you know, if we were to, before we could enter some, you know, express agreement with Guatemala, there has to be, you know, thought about social security arrangements. There's a whole bunch it's it's not a not a simple thing to enter it's, it's into a, almost an like immigration a, deal with one country. Kind of mm. almost like an extension of the PAM scheme type of thing. I guess so. And I guess so, which brings me to what some of the things that are happening. So, I mean, you, you would be aware that um, our government, you know, we did, we in opposition, we did oppose the ag visa. We, we thought it was uh, potentially leaving people open to exploitation because of the lack of sort of rigour around protections compared to the PALM scheme, but also, as you've now seen since we've been in government, you know, restoring Australia's position in the Pacific is so important on a range of levels, uh, mm -hmm. including national security. And the PALM scheme is such an important way of doing that. And uh, we, uh, we thought that that was the way to go. And we've now got a record number of PALM or Pacific workers in Australia. Um, they play a really important role on farms. Um, we obviously want to increase that further. Um, and at the same time, though, you know, the, the, the numbers of migrants are coming back in Australia, the numbers of students are coming back, the number of backpackers are coming up, and not all of them are going to work in agriculture. Um, but I think that that is starting to help. But I guess the other thing that's been really important to me in this workforce area is that I sort of found that whenever you started talking about this, people's ideas would immediately go to who can we bring in from overseas. And that's an important part of it. But I also don't want to give up on the idea of encouraging Australians to work in agriculture as well. And, you know, the, so we've put in place more than 13,000 uh, fee-free TAFE places in agriculture courses um, to give Australians the opportunities to pick up some of the skills that are now needed on farms. Um, but I really want to do a lot of work um, in the school space as well, because, you know, I think that um, I've actually been to the agricultural education program at one of the suburban high schools in Brisbane. So not even necessarily in the country. And there are kids there who've had no connection to farms um, uh, in their family history who are studying agriculture. And the reasons they are interested are it, of the technology that is now in, in farming in a huge way and growing and the sustainability um, opportunities around farming. So I think that there are some well, things we can do there, but of course- I'll tell you what you could do, overseas. Murray. You can use us as a case study. Because oh. neither of us come from farms. No, that's true. We've got diverse backgrounds. And I was going to actually- And we both oh. going to ag and it was for the money. No, and then, no then we realized <laughs> we'd, we hadn't seen the decimal point. I've actually, I've got, I've got an Andrew Whitelaw style um, suggestion for that actually, because when the, I was the, going the through, no, when I was going through uh, uh, high school actually, um, and Murray would probably be around the similar age, like I alluded to earlier, um, 19, top, 1920s. Yeah, <laughs> top Gun, Top Gun, Top Gun, the first, uh, yes. the first, first iteration yes. of Top Gun was the first main, and the best. Uh, the main movie out at the time and almost every kid that you spoke to, particularly the males of, of that genre, um, were wanting to be 
fighter pilots or accountants. I so they were the two fighter pilots or accountants <laughs> were the two top career I, I, pathways. I remember, right? I remember it well because I was one year old at the time. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. So, so, so <laughs> well, Mark, well, I did, I did commerce law, Matt. So obviously yeah, it had an yeah. impact on me because I was never going to be a fighter. Yeah, no, well, yeah, so similar, similar degree there as well. I just did law as my minor, not not the double degree. But um, but uh, my 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 most idea would be that you 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 fund an Australian Clark, movie. Clarkson's uh, Clarkson's no, farm. No, an Australian white, movie. White, white Agwatcher's farm. No, an Australian movie. Um, and on 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 Andrew and my journey to agriculture. Oh, that's a um, good one. Yeah, you know, we could we could put like um someone like uh, Ewan McGregor. Ewan, Ewan McGregor. McGregor as Andrew. Ah, uh, yeah. Ricky tra tra Gervais. Ricky no, tra tra Travis. Tra Travis Fimmel. <laughs> <laughs> Travis, oh, okay, I'll take Travis Fimmel. Travis, tra yeah. tra we could Travis. see we could see what Russell Crowe's up to. Yeah, right. Well, Russell. Um, yeah, no, I'm getting grey as, as grey as Russell. So Ma I'll take Ma Russell. Mel Gibson could play me because he already played a Scotsman. <laughs> That's true. I'm not sure about his accent. Um, so we could have that. We could have that as a as a as a premiering movie to encourage those young kids of today. Into, like, I don't want. I don't want. I don't want to be the one to bring it back to a serious note. But <laughs> I'll talk. I'll talk to Tony Burke about whether we can uh, get a bit of Film Australia investment in this the arts, uh, very exciting project. The, the arts <laughs> funding. But have you have you ever dealt with PIFA, the Primary Industries Education yeah, Commission? Yes. Because they, yes, the, they, they had a um, conference last week, and they've got some really impressive stuff. They do, they do. I actually attended an event um, uh, that their CEO, I guess he is, Lucia, is it Luciano? Luciano, um, mm -hmm. Fan at, yes, fantastic guitar player. Is he? Ah, I didn't see that. Um, the uh, and a former teacher, I think, before That's he right. became or, same, or an academic in education. Same as um, that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So he, so yeah. So Luciano presented at a, uh, a, I suppose, a mini conference I was at in Brisbane recently um, that involved a lot of people from agriculture leaders talking about this issue about how do we get more kids involved in agriculture. Um, and and as I say, I think I think that um, the industry actually has some competitive advantages compared to a lot of others around you know technology, sustainability. The ability to be in nature these are things that lots of kids want to do and i don't think we've fully exploited those competitive advantages in agriculture mm. and you know i don't want to pretend that we're going to meet all of our ag course ag, ag workforce needs but i think we can do better fair enough well we're we'll probably coming to the end i'd add one other thing to discuss the, sure. future, the future of agriculture mm. one of the things is obviously climate change is a is a proven fact i think According to the science, well, yep. I think I think we finally got to a point in Australia that we can accept that climate change is real. Well, we weren't prepared to talk about that with Bob Catter, though. We're not that. Uh, we're not uh, uh, we spoke about immigration. Uh, that was brave enough. Uh, so we've seen quite a few. We have spoken a lot about your time as the ag minister. Mm -hmm. That's not your only portfolio. Yes. No. So whilst we've had FMD, which you could argue was a precursor to a, dis a potential disaster. If it if it arrived, it would be a disaster. But you also dealt with floods. Mm, yep. Major floods this year. Uh, some fires, probably somewhere in Australia. Little, little fires. Little, some fires, not a, but sort of um, very much overshadowed by the cyclones in the west. <clears throat> yep. Do you think that maybe the should portfolio should be split? Is it too much? Is it too much? I'm just thinking about you. Um, I'm just thinking about you. 
we, we, as, as trained counsellors. <laughs> there were definitely, let's say, there were definitely last times last year that it was a lot. Um, and as I say, the uh, it was week five in the job when FMD became a thing. Um, but that was also the same work that New South Wales experienced another round of massive floods from the Hunter through the Central Coast, down the South Coast. So that was a very big week. And then, um, then and it didn't then really for, stop. For all, for all my... <laughs> for all my <laughs> and then, you know, floods in pretty much every state. So last year was pretty full on. Um, but, so so um, if, you, if you've made it this far... Well, that's right. And um, <laughs> I, think, I, think the, I think the other thing is that, you know, there are some natural synergies between these portfolios. Um, I guess especially... Uh, the, uh, most of the floods that we saw last year took place in regional locations. The agriculture sector was obviously very badly affected by them. Um, and and even if even FMD, one of the things that we did, um, as well as all the sort of immediate response stuff, I, I was just concerned that we maybe weren't quite as ready as we needed to be if we did have an outbreak here. And what I basically did was put together a little task force within the government that brought together senior people from the Ag Department and senior people from our emergency management agency to put together and run the eye over all the plans around preparedness. Um, and I think that was a really useful exercise. And it probably might have been a bit more difficult if it had been two different ministers rather than one person being mm. able to say, see the whole perspective. And because, as you said, I mean, if we had had foot and mouth disease got get here and if we ever do, then our emergency management people will be involved in dealing with that and getting them all working together at an early stage and basically going around each of the states and territories to look at their levels of preparedness. So, you know, it was pretty I, tough at different times, but there were some upsides as well. Because that was, that was my, my next sort of thought as well there, that you, when you mentioned emergency service personnel. So let's say, for instance, you have the uh, come back to being a miserable Scotsman. If you have the worst case scenario, you could have had a foot and mouth disease outbreak at the same time as a flood. Yep. And in theory... A COVID outbreak at the same time, mm -hmm. um, or a cyber security incident, or something like that. But all of those use the same staff. Am I correct? Mm. Pretty much mm. on a on a yeah, national well, state obviously, basis. Yeah, obviously there's. Um, <clears throat> well, the, I suppose the thing is that the emergency management personnel would be involved in each of those things. Um, and uh, the we actually do have systems within the federal government, um, uh, you know, coordination mechanisms and things like that, where our emergency management team can bring together. Uh, people to deal with cybersecurity or a natural disaster. You know, when we have floods that wipe out supply chains, we get people in from the transport department uh, and obviously the private sector as well. Um, but I think that is some, that it's actually something that we're still working on is making sure that we do have um, the personnel and the ability to be able to deal with multiple multiple hazards at any one time. Um, you know, again, cybersecurity in particular, that's a really growing threat. Um, and it's not, I don't think it's unrealistic to see a, a world in which you could be dealing with, you know, a massive flood at the same mm. time as a cyber, a cyber shutdown, as well as, you know, some sort of disease outbreak. And they are exactly the kind of things that our people do planning for. Um, but, you know, I'd be honest and say that it's still something that we can do some more work on. Mm. That's good. Right. Oh, so... That's, unless you've got anything else. I'm Mark. sad it's over. I'm sad it's over <laughs> after all this time. This is episode one. Well, episode one of of X number. And uh, you How have given... How long did we bore people for, do you think? 
Well, we've been, we've, been try- we've been trying people for 170 episodes and uh, it's, it's still not working. They're still yeah. listening. So a, a year in, or slightly less than a year, because you, you did come on before the year. Um, well, Mar- we, uh, we had David Littleproud on a couple of episodes ago, mm-hmm. and then we asked him for his view of the, a report card for you. <laughs> like... I'm not going to say glowing, it was great. Wasn't it? it was I'm absolutely not... glowing. He had some. I think he had some positive things to say. I think he, yeah, he sometimes does. He sometimes does try and be, you know, all, you know generous. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> um, what, what would what would you say would be your review of the last year in time? Give yourself. You'd be honest. It's, it's a it's a three sixty degree feedback. I think you call it yeah. nowadays in HR. By, yeah. HR by yeah. me. I just spin around. I spin around in front of a mirror. And yeah, so give, 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 give yourself a, a, a out of ten. Uh, it's always hard to assess yourself, isn't it? Um, why not you, you, never, go... you never thought it was going to be an appraisal, did you? <laughs> no, no, I didn't <laughs> expect that. And certainly out of 10, that's just so definitive, isn't it? Look, I, I'm going to give myself an eight to an eight and a half. You know, you can always do things better. Oh, because um, so, it was a reverse. It was, one was the best. <laughs> oh, okay, so I, complete, uh, I should have I checked that. Should you, you should have checked, checked that. that. No, so I, I would 10. And what about the previous say, Ag yeah. Minister? What about the previous Ag Minister? Um, as in David Littleproud, there were so many. Um, <laughs> the, uh, and he had two shots at it, didn't he? Um, oh, I'll be generous and say seven. Um, you know, I think... I think David, you can't fault David's passion for the industry, um, uh, but it wasn't really until I guess I took over in the role that I realised that there were some pretty serious issues, like our biosecurity funding system and the department's budget uh, were not good and it's taken a lot of work to get that into shape. And um, the and and I think and this isn't just about David as a whole. Like I think that the the former government and the coalition's um, lack of interest and denialism about climate change I think was really damaging to the ag sector. Um, one of the things that really I guess surprised me taking on the role was exactly how far ahead of the former government the industry was around climate change and sustainability because um, they live it every day. You know they can see see the impacts on their profits. They can see what consumers are demanding. They can see what international markets are demanding. And I don't think the former government did a very good job of supporting the industry to be set up for that. So, uh, but yeah, look, I'll be generous and say about seven. About seven. Seven, okay. He, he, gave you you ten, he gave you 10 out of 10. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> that was on the original scoring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other way around. The other way around. And only because there wasn't an 11. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well... David, we've actually, uh, David, <laughs> that's a full power. Wash your mouth out. <laughs> it's been, uh, we had, uh, we've gone way over the time that your media person allocated to us. Yep. And, I, and, yep. I can, and I reckon I've heard her tapping on your door. Um, but if you got anything else to say before we go? Um, no, look, I mean, just, I, I genuinely really, I, I, thank you for the opportunity. It's been good fun, as I knew it would be. Um, and can I thank you guys for the work that you do in, you know, uh, bringing agriculture finally, and its future. Finally, yes. somebody has finally appreciated us. All this pro <laughs> no, bono good. work we've done for the industry, and we finally Absolutely. get somebody. I won't pretend to say that I listened to every episode, but I, I have listened to a few. 
Um, right. And uh, even even I and the job that I have where I live and breathe this every day, I find it really informative. And I know there's a lot of people who aren't directly involved in the industry who find your podcast really uh, informative about ag as well. So thanks for what you do. It's a really important right. thing. You can come on again. Can't get it much higher than that. Because that's what we're going to ask you next. That was the last question before we go. Next year, Matt and I are going to go for Order of Australia medal for services to agriculture. Ah, I knew that. I knew there was going to be a catch. So uh, we'll uh, we'll put you down for one vote. Um, services services to podcasts. Well, either that or we could represent Australia in the Eurovision, Andrew, because we are we are accomplished singers. That's a good point. Well, one of my staff actually just got back from she was actually at Eurovision so I've been getting the stories out of her over the course of the day sounds like it was very good fun there you go well th thanks very much Murray Edger as you mentioned we're way over time but we appreciate um you know your thoughts and uh, and your generous time allotment even after taking the year um, you, and you, you didn't have to be worried you could have come on yeah. at any point <laughs> <laughs> it was, I just needed this bloody rain to stop uh, now, now that the rain's stopped I've got a bit of time to do these things it's good there you go. All right. Well, we'll let you go and um, appreciate it. Great to talk, guys. Thanks very no much. Worries. See you when you see you when you got <laughs> nothing on.